Premier Christian Newscast. Hello and welcome to Premier Christian Newscast. I'm Tim Wyatt. Next week, more than 600 bishops from around the world will descend on Canterbury in Kent to spend two weeks in prayer, worship, Bible study and discussion. 14 years in the making, this will be the 15th ever Lambeth Conference, a gathering of every bishop in the 46 independent churches that make up the Anglican Communion. But all is not well within global Anglicanism. Huge divisions on sexuality and marriage have left different Anglican churches heading in very different directions. While some are steaming forwards with a full affirmation of gay marriage and even ordaining LGBT people as bishops, others see this as a betrayal of biblical teaching and the communion's deepest traditions. So much so that some of the largest and most conservative churches have chosen to boycott the meeting, despite desperate attempts at mediation by the Archbishop of Canterbury, rather than share the table with more liberal churches from elsewhere in the world. So what will actually happen at this much-delayed Lambeth Conference? What is at stake in the discussions between bishops, and will any meaningful decisions actually get made? Or will bitter disagreements about gay marriage ultimately tear the communion apart? Joining me this week to unpick the Lambeth Conference are former Bishop Graham Kings, church journalist Madeline Davies, and the vicar, theologian and blogger Ian Paul. Well, thanks very much for joining us, uh, Madeline, Ian and Graham. Shall we start by uh, introducing yourselves? Uh, Graham, why don't you share uh, who, who you are and what you do? Um, I'm a retired bishop. I now live in Cambridge. Um, I served in Kenya with CMS and then founded the Cambridge Centre for Christianity Worldwide. I was vicar of Islington, bishop of Sherborne and mission theologian in the Anglican Communion. Brilliant. Uh, Ian, who are you? Um, I'm ordained in the Church of England in Nottingham. I'm associate minister at our church in the city centre. I'm a member of the uh, of the General Synod and of the Archbishop's Council. I'm a biblical scholar, and my particular interest is on the Book of Revelation. Uh, but I also um, write, uh, publish on the blog Sefidzo, which um, it, I publish maybe two or three times a week. And uh, so some of your readers may be familiar with me from there. Great, Madeline. Uh, yeah, I've um, worked for the Church Times for a decade now. Um, I cover both news and features. Um, haven't covered a Lambeth uh, conference in that time because we haven't had one in that period, but I did go to the Anglican um, Consultative Council meeting in Zambia in 2016, so I guess that's my experience of, um, of the communion gathering. Brilliant. Well, I'm really pleased to have such a, a great lineup of guests on, on the podcast today. Um, can we start by just trying to establish what exactly is the Lambeth Conference? Many people might not have heard of it. Um, Mads, do you want to just briefly summarise what is a Lambeth Conference and why are all these bishops coming to, to Kent? Yeah, so um, I think the, the first um, Lambeth Conference was um, gathered in 1867, um, which was um, a kind of gathering of um, 76 bishops um, from at that time um, around the Anglican world. 
Um, and I guess um, even at that point, uh, one of the ideas was trying to kind of um, resolve some conflicts um, amongst Anglican um, churches. So there's always been um, that question of, of the Lambeth Conference being a place where people can wrestle with, um, with conflict and division. Um, I guess the idea was um, to kind of unite for worship and common counsel. So there's also that sense that, that people are joining to, to discuss um, and have kind of civil dialogue around um, what the right direction for the, the Anglican church might be. Um, it's really grown since then. So I think this year they're expecting more than 700 bishops. Um, and I guess sort of the, the balance has shifted in that time as well in terms of where um, some of those bishops are coming from. Um, and sort of traditionally, I think there was one sort of every decade, but we've actually um, had a long wait um, since the last Lambeth conference, um, partly kind of waiting for the right moment and partly there's been a slight delay um, because of COVID. Um, so I think I'm right in saying this is the first one since 2008. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. 14, 14 long years since, since the last <laughs> one, which I haven't actually done my research to know, but I think it's the longest gap for for quite some time, many, many decades. Um, uh, Graham, I wonder if you could explain, you, you've worked in the communion yourself, you've been a bishop. What do these gatherings hope to achieve? Are they kind of the, the cabinet for the Anglican communion? Are they gonna set policy and doctrine for the member churches or is it just a talking shop? Um, it's neither of those. Um, it's, a, it's a gathering to study the scriptures together each morning there's going to be an exposition of scripture and then after that there's going to be bible studies um, and it's to learn from each other from learn from each other's contexts uh, and worship together and deal with particular issues which arise in the various contexts so um, at the moment uh, climate change and persecution uh, and also the growth of the church, extraordinary growth in the Anglican communion parts of it, and some decline in other parts. Uh, the question of reconciliation, um, also the question of, of sexuality will, will be debated. Um, and there will be calls made instead of um, resolutions, uh, they're calling them calls, calls for the uh, provinces to consider uh, as, they, as they go back. So there's now 43 provinces throughout the Anglican Communion in 165 countries. And there's been a very, this is the best prepared Lambeth Conference um, that, that there's ever been, partly because of Matt's has just said there's been this gap. But there have been uh, 20 conversations online on Zoom with bishops from all over the world. Um, so there's there's been a, a process of almost 18 months leading up to it then there's these almost two weeks and then there's continuing on when the provinces consider the calls that have come out of the Lambeth Conference. Mm. We, we talked a little bit about how it's been 14 years since the last one and 2008 um, was quite a momentous quite a significant Lambeth Conference as they go. Does someone want to explain why exactly that was and, and what was the kind of big issues going into there and what happened in 2008? Graham's the one for that. <laughs> well, <broken. laughs> in 2008, um, Rome Williams was the Archbishop of Canterbury. There was a crisis um, since 1998 through, in terms of homosexuality in the Episcopal Church and a, um, a practicing homosexual was consecrated a bishop uh, in order to solve that 
Christ, which could have split the whole communion, um, Archbishop Rowan set up what became um, became the Lambeth Commission and wrote the Windsor Report, and that came up with a suggestion for a covenant for the whole of the Anglican communion. And so the question of the covenant was very much at the forefront of the 2008 Lambeth Conference. Um, and Rowan had a huge, huge role there. Not only did he lead the, uh, the two-day retreat at the beginning, but he gave three keynote addresses, which were very, very significant. And it held, it held together. And many, some provinces refused to come, as uh, three, three provinces are refusing to come this particular time. Um, but it did hold together, and I think it was an extraordinary uh, conference in itself. So, so let's talk about some of the, the splits, I suppose. Um, you, you mentioned there was a kind of a boycott. Is it too crude to say that the, the rough kind of dividing lines in the communion are between um, uh, kind of global south uh, provinces, most especially in Africa, which tend to take a more conservative line of sexuality, and then the kind of uh, Western, uh, shall we say, kind of North America and European provinces tend to be more liberal. And that is the kind of fracture that that successive archbishops of Canterbury have been trying to, to balance. Ian? Yeah, I think that's fair, although it's, it's, it's much more subtle and complex than that. And I think a couple of things which are really interesting from what Graham said about 2008, which is that um, there are three of the African uh, provinces which are refusing to attend, uh, and that's um, Nigeria and um, uh, Rwanda and um, Uganda. Okay. Am I right there? That's right. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Now, now the, 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 the issue, the, the, the problem here is that because they boycotted 2008, they're boycotting this time, it means that they haven't, the last time they attended was in 1998. Um, and a couple, there are a couple of factors, I think, which are raising concerns about the whole fabric and this future of the Lambeth Conference and the relationship, uh, the relationships within global Anglicanism. And um, we, at the, on the Archbishop's Council, we, we've actually had report, verbal reports from Justin at every meeting on his travels. And I think one of the things that's really, really evident is that Justin has invested a huge amount of emotional energy and time and his own personal energy in building relationships. Uh, I think that in his first year, he actually visited every single province, whereas um, Rowan Williams had only visited provinces he was invited to. He only visited a third of them in his whole time. So Justin's put a huge amount of relational energy into it. I think that the real challenge is that that investment of time and relationships hasn't actually resolved the issues. So the, the dynamic is, yes, partly in relation to understandings around sexuality and doctrine, but it's also around growth. So, uh, for instance, the Episcopal Church in the United States, uh, its membership is absolutely plummeting, but they're actually sitting on huge assets. So uh, it, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be too unfair to characterize them as a church, which in quite soon are going to have no people but lots of money. And that's actually a pretty serious issue for the Lambeth Conference. Um, just uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, an article was published um, by Benjamin Geyer on the Covenant website, where he was saying, look, there's, there's been a long concern about the lack of financial transparency. Um, certainly a few years ago, the American church uh, constituted less than 3% of the communion, but it was actually funding about 30% of the costs of the communion, the shared costs in the Lambeth Conference. But there's lack of transparency there. There's a disparity in growth. And in fact, for those who are concerned about this division on doctrine and the understanding of what it means to be Anglican, there are two main groups. One is those who are boycotting, but the other is the group that calls itself the, the Global South Fellowship of Anglicans, who are attending. But um, I don't know if others have seen this just this morning, they issued a press release saying 
look, we, we, we need to get involved, but we want to get involved in order, firstly, to foster the unity of the Orthodox, secondly, to sound a clarion call to biblical faithfulness, thirdly, to stand by the principle of not being a breakaway group, but actually to be a faithful remnant who calls the communion back to its roots and its doctrinal identity. And in fact, um, as Graham mentioned, there's been a shift away from making resolutions. The last resolution was, in fact, in, in 1998. And one of those resolutions that hit the headlines was 110, which was around the understanding of sexuality. But the Global South Anglican leaders are now saying, look, if we're, if we're going to be anything at all, we, we've got to actually believe the same things. And in fact, we, we, we actually would like to, to formalize um, our, our expression of what we believe and formalize it around those 1998 statements. Now, what's really interesting here, and Graham might have a view about this, or, or Mads might want to comment on it, it seems to me that that call, although it looks like, quote-unquote, conservative, actually, it's completely in line with what Rowan Williams himself said in 2006. He commented that in the, a changing and diversifying world where the global South Anglicanism is growing, what we need is not a looser confederation, but we actually need clearer and more and tighter uh, organizational relationships and a closer fellowship and it seems to me that the move away from res from resolutions to calls is actually trying to loosen things up and say it's almost as if those who are organizing Lambertcom say well look we're not ever going to agree about these things so let's all just meet together and you know kind of not quite have a nice time together but let, let's meet together and, and, and not worry too much about whether or not we agree we're, we're you know we've got this historic identity and we've got relational identity um, but actually, there are serious voices saying that's not the right direction. If the Anglican community has got any future at all, it's got to be a future where people actually have some more agreement. Premier Christian Newscast. Premier Christian Newscast. Mads, you've been covering kind of the internal politics of the Anglican Communion, for, as you say, for almost as long as the last the last Lambeth conference, and you've you've travelled um, to to other Angli inter Anglican meetings. What's your kind of read of the temperature of the of the of the of the direction? Do you see kind of further fracture and division inevitable, or do you think actually this conference and 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 well-being and maybe other forces that you know be talking about could actually kind of heal and, and restore some of the broken relationships? I mean, I think um, in reality, there's been um, a kind of break for, for some time now. Um, so it's sort of possibly sort of going back to to, to 1998. Um, I think um, that division already exists. Um, and certainly what tends to grab the headlines um, are the sort of back and forth conversation um, between um, the Archbishop of Canterbury and, and, and um, those who were boycotting Lambeth Conference. And the temperature of that ha has in recent weeks been, I suppose, sort of quite high, and particularly those boycotting the conference, um, putting very strongly the reasons why they, they won't be attending um, and not really agreeing with, with Justin Welby's point. His point is that, you know, the way to solve these things is, is to come together, to listen to one another, um, to be pr present and sort of arguing that that's always been the way that the church has dealt with division um, there's often been this phrase um, a commitment to sort of walking together and that's really sort of been rejected um, by those boycotting saying you know they disagree with that interpretation of how the church historically has has dealt with division and saying you know to attend would be to say that they um, sort of approve of 
um, the interpretation of the Bible by others present. They would see them as really sort of straying away from um, from the Bible. And so they, they can't attend sort of in, in good conscience that that would send the wrong message. Um, it's very hard to see how those two positions can be resolved, really, because there's not even an agreement on how to deal with um, division. Um, but what I would say, sort of having been to Zambia, is that sort of looking very much at the relationships between primates, so um, the, the bishops around the world who lead the churches in their area. Um, and I think many people would say that on the ground, um, there are strong relationships, um, even between, um, you know, some of those provinces that are boycotting the Lambeth Conference and um, and those that are, you know, that there's still relationships that exist between local churches. Um, certainly in Zambia, you know, you had um, people sitting around tables and, and having conversations about other issues not related to sexuality. And I, I think the temperature there was actually quite sort of convivial. Um, there was quite a kind of um, comradely atmosphere. And there's probably some frustration from other churches that this issue tends to dominate um, discussions so much when actually when you look at the agenda, there's a huge amount of other topics which are very pressing, um, you know, climate change, migration, evangelism, growth of the church. Um, so I think those things can kind of get a bit sidelined in discussions, whereas for some people, they will be coming very, very keen to talk about those things. Hmm. Do you share that frustration, Graham, that sometimes the kind of what we could achieve at Lambeth conferences it is lost because of these internal politics around, you know, these flashpoint culture war issues? Um, in, in some ways, but I, I'm with Mads. I was at that conference in Zambia as well. And it was it was extraordinary and very convivial. And that's what happens when Christians get together right across the world and share deeply and study the Bible together and pray, um, then uh, the Holy Spirit works and draws together a fellowship. Uh, and I'm, I'm convinced that's, that's what's going to happen. Uh, Ian mentioned that uh, Justin Welby visited the 38 provinces in his first 18 months. He did, but he took Caroline with him, his wife. And Caroline Welby is involved in in setting up the spouses conference. Um, so there'll be a, in some ways a parallel conference and sometimes they're going to share things as well. Uh, there's going to be women bishops, uh, more women bishops in the female bishops in the Lambeth conference than any other Lambeth conference. And there's going to be a, an exhibition of women in the Bible um, as part of the uh, um, bishops retreat in the first two days in the crypt of, of Canterbury Cathedral. So I'm, I'm, I'm positive about what's going to be achieved. There will be some flashpoints. There will be um, various things that are happening. But getting to know each other, um, there's only three provinces out of 43 who are definitely not coming. Um, they have very large numbers, certainly. But I think that's, that's worth bearing in mind. Sorry, go on. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> uh, Graham's right, there are only three provinces. I mean, the slight difficulty is that they represent one third of all global Anglicans. And I think one of the one of the things I feel deeply concerned about is um, the imbalance, and the misrepresentation. I mean, it's it, I find it fascinating that elsewhere in the Church of England, we're concerned about institutional racism. But it's quite quite peculiar that in that context, nobody seems very concerned about the structural imbalance by which Western white liberal bishops are massively overrepresented at Lambeth, whereas 
black, particularly African, Asian, uh, the church is underrepresented because they have such vast congregations and so many fewer bishops. I mean, one of the one of the bishops in the Episcopal Church in Scotland has, uh, has only got 15 clergy in, in the diocese. I mean, you know, and, and, and so it's just there's a massive even even if the, the those from the three provinces attended, there'd still be a huge disparity. I think also I, I can see that, you know, the questions about sexuality are often the flashpoint, the thing that get headlines. I think a difficulty is a fun, for the for the Africans. There's a much more fundamental question, which is, does Scripture still shape the Anglican churches, and does it shape the Anglican communion? I think that's their main concern. And the contemporary debates on sexuality are the uh, the, the the litmus test, as it were, of that. But actually, it, it goes much deeper than that. You know, we've got to ask the question: How come so many churches in the Anglican communion are growing? And, but, but so few in, in the West are. And I think the research by John Haywood in his church model work and the research by David Goodhue says, you know, these things are not unrelated, that actually something fundamental changes in a church once it starts engaging in the kind of agenda that we see, for instance, in the uh, Episcopal Church of America, that, 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 that it's, it, it's, a, it's a symptom of other, other things that are going wrong. And I think that that's what, what the concern is. And, and it's, not, it's not just those who are boycotting, but it's the... Uh, the global south bishops as well who are saying do you know things need to change and they're, and they're saying that very clearly and they're saying it by engaging graham you wanted to, to come in on that yes i think in terms of numbers if there's over if about 700 coming i think the, the majority of those are going to be black and brown i, I really do i don't think they're going to be the majority are going to be white liberals here um what's interesting is in terms of how uh, Rowan tried to hold the communion together was through the Anglican Communion Covenant and what um, Archbishop Justin Welby has done has moved away from that in effect um, and uh, tried to hold it together through personal relationships and that's that's has held together um, but it's 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 dangerous because eventually you'll get an, another archbishop and what happens to the institutions. Uh, one way of looking at it I think is was the covenant uh, setting um, a modern cat to chase a postmodern mouse, uh, and that we're now in a in a different situation in terms of um, how how the communion operates? And I think we have moved from modernity to postmodernism in in terms of how that relates, and that's part of the uh, issue of how the calls are, how it's going to be um, related back. And um, I've I wouldn't be at all surprised if uh, one of the calls is specifically on um, issues of human sexuality um, and that it would talk about the agreed teaching of the majority of the communion. So I think that that will certainly be there amongst the calls. It's not, they're not going to ignore that. I think uh, Graham's right that, that Justin's been relying on relational uh, capital. Uh, I think the difficulty is that relational capital can't just brush over or brush under the carpet, the, the, the real issues. And I think that the, the real the real grievances, both for those in, who are attending from the global south, but also from those who are boycotting, it is the question, I mean, this is a pertinent day to be talking about this, isn't it? Uh, is, is the question of do personal relationships carry integrity and accountability? You know, one of the first things, the first primates meetings that Justin chaired was in 2016. And it was said very clearly there that those who made autonomous decisions and stepped away from what the Windsor report had said was the up to the clear consensus of the Anglican communion about, about the, the biblical and Anglican theological view, those who stepped away from that would face consequences. Well, the African bishops are saying, well, what happened to that? Where, where, where were the consequences? You know, and, and again, one thing that the detail that perhaps people have missed is that 
uh, Justin invited those uh, American bishops who are in same-sex marriages. He didn't invite their spouses. That uh, not inviting a spouse has upset them, but inviting those who are who represent in themselves the breaching, the tearing of the Anglican communion, the, the autonomous stepping away from Anglican, Anglican doctrine, who are causing the fracture themselves, to have them actually at the Lambeth Conference is, is actually unprecedented. It's much further than Rome would ever go in terms of, you know, trying to find accommodation. And I think that that's really a thorn in the side for many of the, many of the African and Asian bishops, and it needs to be addressed. This is what, when you step back from the kind of minutiae, is what is happening here is you have churches that are just completely going in different directions. And in, in truth, apart from the common kind of heritage that they were both founded by the Church of England hundreds of years ago, there's very little to do between the American Episcopalians and the church, Anglican Church in Uganda, for example. And I just wonder, is it, what are you, what are you are interested in your thoughts? Is it worth continuing to try and patch over the differences and try and find this, this middle ground or, or agree to disagree when actually everyone would be happy if we just went our separate ways? Matt? I mean, I would say, you know, you, you can sort of say they have very little in common, but, you know, actually, as I said at Lusaka, you had people from the Episcopal Church um, in, the, in the United States sitting down with um, um, people from, from, from African churches. Uh, so um, in particular, the, um, the church in Kenya, um, which in some ways is, has sort of um, sometimes sort of aligned itself more with, with GAFCON and probably shares some of the concerns of those boycotting the church. But actually, um, you have people from those two churches um, sitting alongside each other, worshipping together, studying the scriptures together. You know, I think we, we do have things in, in common, um, but that's not to downplay, you know, as you say, if you look at the the direction of the Episcopal Church, the direction of, of the Church of Uganda, you know, they are um, undeniably um, sort of very, very different. Um, I mean, I, th I think this sort of talk about um, walking together um, it is tricky. And as sort of Graham says, there was a call for people to perhaps pause, um, pause before um, sort of moving forward in, in certain directions, including, um, as you say, sort of ordaining um, people in same sex relationships. There was a call sort of called to have a moratorium on that to pause until or whether other people would sort of walk in that direction with them. And, and that was a decision which, um, you know, the Episcopal Church continued to move in, in that direction. So, you know, I think walking together is is language that we often talk about and whether that is still possible um, is really sort of the question underlying the Lambeth Conference. I think, you know, Justin Welby has taken this much more relational approach rather than trying to sort of put down things in writing about how we're going to walk together. Just trust that um, by sort of gathering together, you can build relationships and find common ground. Um, and I know he'll probably be personally very disappointed that those um, three provinces won't be present because he has put an enormous amount of effort in, into trying to build those relationships. Mm. Tim, your question was, is it worth staying together? And I would say it certainly is. Um, when uh, Desmond Tutu was under pressure from the, the white apartheid uh, South African government, uh, Robert Runcie said, touch Tutu and you touch the whole Anglican communion. And I was in Kenya working with David Guitari when there was an assassination attempt on his life. And um, within uh, 24 hours, there was response from Lambeth and the Anglican communion that they're standing behind him. And so unity really is important when things get tough. And I think in a political way, you've seen that with, with Ukraine. Um, so holding together and being uh, 
uh, one communion um, is very important when when people you're in contexts of persecution or or difficulty. Hmm. And I think that Graham raises the, some really key issues there. Uh, fascinating statement about you know, touch to touch, touch African Anglicanism. Well, that used to be the case, but it is no longer, and it's no longer largely because of how Desmond Tutu himself shaped the uh, South African Church in 1970. Uh, says uh, David Goodhue, around one in six African Anglicans were from South Africa. By 2015, that, that number had plummeted to one in 20, because again, the church in South Africa under Tutu aligned themselves with a Western understanding of sexuality, and the church hasn't grown, and other provinces have. Uh, and I think the other thing we need to really recognize, part of the reason I think for Nigeria why this is such an issue, is that you know, the question of sexuality and the question of whether or not the church is actually rooted in scripture is a huge missional issue for them. And far from being in fellowship, what they're finding is that the position of churches in the West is actually causing them pain and it's actually causing them difficulty in inhibiting their missional work. So we need relationships, but we need relationships which are going to be honest and transparent uh, where we're actually going to keep our word to one another and we're actually going to recognize that we can't simply go off on our own track because that has consequence for others and we need to recognize that yeah um, i mean i do i do think um in terms of our current archbishop of canterbury there is a recognition um that the that the global south is um you know numerically at, at least sort of um a really sort of strong force in the Anglican community. He often talks about the fact that the average Anglican um, is a woman from sub-Sahara, um, a young woman, um, which is not possibly what people think of when they think, oh, Anglican. Um, but that is the reality um, numerically. And interestingly, when we were um, looking at um, who runs um, sort of general secretary of the Anglican um, communion, we've had um, Josiah Edouard who was Nigerian, um, a very close friend of Justin Welby's, um, and his successor is um, from South Sudan, um, appointed recently, Anthony Pogo. Um, so I think certainly from Justin Welby's point of view, he's always been keen to sort of elevate those voices. And often when I've been at press conferences, he'll actually defer and say, no, you answer the question. And, and often it is somebody from, um, from the Global South on the panel. I think there is, certainly isn't a sense from him that he um, kind of doesn't respect or um, want to lift up voices from the global south it's very much the opposite um, and interestingly at this week's um, general synod so the kind of governing body of the church of england um, we'll be looking at whether um, we should have more representatives from around the world um, choosing who the next archbishop of canterbury is i think partly because he recognizes that if he's going to have um, sort of a position as an instrument of unity in the communion it's really important that those choosing who his successor is actually represent that global family so i think from from his point of view you couldn't really accuse him of um of not recognizing that shift in in the balance of of the Anglican communion i think that also shows in the three there's been five preparation books for the conference uh, three of them are part of a series which are edited by Mutaraj swami who's the uh, director of the cambridge center for christianity worldwide and these are on the themes walking together witnessing together and listening together and most of that is were written by uh, Global South theologians. These were the fruit of three conferences in, in, uh, around the communion. Um, and maybe that, just as a final thought before we, before we tie this conversation up, is it time therefore to move away from the, from the idea that the Archbishop of Canterbury 
almost well until at present always a, a white English man or Welsh sometimes uh, is is the kind of titular kind of first among equals in the communion and maybe it should become more of a kind of decolonized system where where we can rotate around the various provinces uh, I mean ultimately the communion exists it's kind of a legacy of of British imperialism and, and, and Anglicanism spreading across the world but but as you say if the vitality and the numbers and the dynamism and the growth it is is no longer in the kind of sclerotic declining white majority Western nations. Is it is it time that we that we move away from from Canterbury always being number one, Ian? I, I think I would just challenge that uh, characterization that the Anglican Communion is a product of imperialism. I don't think it is. I think it walked in part with that. But I think at the bottom line is that the the Anglican Communion is the fruit of a legacy of Anglican concern for global mission and evangelism. Now, here's the challenge. Who is now carrying the baton of that missional impulse? And the answer is mostly uh, elsewhere in the world, mostly in the global south. Um, and what's really fascinating, if you look at some, for instance, London, and look at church growth in London, London Diocese and the Church of England is the only diocese really which is actually showing growth, but it's hugely affected by uh, migration and, about, and by Nigerian influences particularly, but also other African and Asian influences as well. So um, do, we need to, do we need to dislodge the leadership of the communion from Canterbury? Uh, possibly, possibly not. I think what I'd rather see is actually giving space for leadership uh, from the Global South. I think that means that um, tackling not just the relational things, not just as it were the soft investment in relationships, but actually tackling the serious questions that those who are, watching are asking, listening to the calls from those who will be attending the Global South Fellowship, um, so that we do actually follow through. And I, and I agree exactly with, Mads, Matt, with Matt, what Matt has, Matt has said. I think Justin has been very good at giving space to those voices. What I, what I don't quite understand, because I'm not part of the internal workings, is how come that relational dynamic hasn't borne fruit in the structure of the way that Lambert Conference is being convened. And I hope it will, will be, and I hope that it does have a future, because that, that's, if we can address these issues, I think that's going to be really good for the Church of England. Final thought, Graham. Uh, are you kind of hopeful for the future of the communion post Lambeth 2022? Yes, I am. And uh, I, Anthony Pogo is a worthy successor for Josiah de Ophiron. Uh, and he's from South Sudan. He's a, he was a child refugee himself and uh, is an extraordinary man of great depth and, and theological insight. And I think it's, it's still centred on Canterbury, um, but it is being decentered as well and I, I look forward to the Lambeth conference I won't be there myself but I certainly pray for it brilliant that's all we've got time for but thanks so much all of my guests it's been a really fascinating discussion I'm, I'm grateful for your insight and thoughts uh, Madeline Davies Ian Paul Graham Kings I uh, hope to have you back on the podcast at some point in the future uh, but for now thank you and uh, thanks everyone for listening I'll speak to you all next week That's all we've got time for on this week's newscast, but don't forget to subscribe to this podcast in whatever app you use to make sure every episode is automatically available for you when it's released. If you've enjoyed it, we'd really appreciate it if you could review Premier Christian Newscast on your app and tell your friends about us. We're a new podcast and so we'd love to get the word out as much as possible. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast. 